Well, I want to welcome everybody that's watching by YouTube or watching us online. Thank you so much for tuning in. We just promoted several elders and a men's ministry director here at the church. And for those of you that are watching or those of you that are visiting right now, this is a family. More important than good messages and even good worship, we're building something that will stand the test of time. And so putting the right people in a position is so important. We move really slow here. I believe things don't go wrong, they start wrong, which is why we watch people and we vet people and we build relationships and we see how you love Jesus and how you love your wife, your husband, and how you love God's people over the course of time. Being in a leadership position is something we should all desire in the kingdom. But the way that that happens is by humbling yourself and making yourself of no reputation so that God can give you a good reputation right? It means that we never have to be in the spotlight because we work for Jesus. We don't work for somebody else in the kingdom. Do you understand? Because in the kingdom and with the Lord as your father, you're always in the spotlight. He sees the good, the bad, the ugly. He sees you in the dark and he sees you in the light. There's nowhere you can go outside of his presence. And so when it comes to being promoted, the best way that that can ever happen is to serve really, really well. The kingdom is an inside out, bottom up, instead of a top-down kingdom. Jesus didn't come to be served, but rather to serve. And so we serve one another in love. My greatest desire for Rock City Church is unity. Because if we can become one, we become an unstoppable force to transform nations, including our own region. It was Jesus' greatest prayer and desire that we would know that the way we know him and the way they're one, that we would become one. And that takes us laying down our differences. It takes us laying down uh, maybe offenses and hurts and struggles and challenges or, or preconceived ideas of the way we think things should be. In a lot of ways, this can seem like a messy church, but it's not messy in the sense that it's dysfunctional. It's messy in the sense that it's not corporate. It's not overly structured and organized, and that's by design. And I know some of you really like structure and organization. My wife is that way, and if it wasn't for her, we'd really, really be messy, okay? But what I'm saying to you is this is Jesus' deal. And if I can get out of the way and let God elevate you and Jesus be magnified, if I can decrease and he increases, that's what matters the most to me. Because it's not about titles and positions and money, and I say that all the time, but get to know any leader in this church. Feel the atmosphere. There's no competition spirit. There's no weird thing going on. Nobody's wearing their title with, with pride and haughtiness. We're here to serve. We're here to love. And there's no competition. Nothing's hidden. It's all in the light. Now, we're not perfect in the sense that we're in discovery, but we've grown strong. We built a firm foundation, and we're growing stronger. We're building a family. The Father's looking for a family. When people come into these doors, what they should find is family and love and people that will encourage and strengthen, not beat them over the head with the Bible and some weird religious thing. And that takes time. That takes putting people in a position over a long, slow growth period of time. This church is not in a rapid growth. And notice I rarely ever use the word revival. So I'm not praying for revival. And if I did, it would be that God would pour out his spirit upon every church in this city, city and everybody that's hungry and thirsty for more, whether they're Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, Church of Christ, I don't care what they are. If they're hungry for God, my prayer is God, get them and get us too. My prayer is, Lord, pour out your spirit 
with Pastor Faylauer at New Life, CCCF with Pastor Lavelle. I don't care who it is. I don't care what the church is. Lord, if they're hungry, get them, pour out your spirit, bring revival to our community. Because if revival hits this church and people start roaring out of wheelchairs and blind eyes see, and we all think that'd be great. But when 100,000 people come to our doorstep and it services every night, I'll fry out my kids and you'll fry out yours because we won't be able to sustain it and contain it. It doesn't mean I don't want people popping out of wheelchairs and eyes opened. But you know what? I want it to be a cultural thing. I want it to be a family thing. And I'd love to see it out at HEB and at Stripes and in the marketplace and at your workplace. So get trained and equipped and take it out of these doors. There's people hurting and broken and sick and lost and dying. There's people into witchcraft and tarot cards and sorcery. And they think that's the power of God. But it's not. There's something greater. But until we get Phillips that get out into the community like he did in Samaria and bring the real authentic power, we're never going to see revival in our community. So the purpose of this church is training and equipping and preparing and sending. We're on a mission and it takes time. I'd rather be a mighty oak tree that took a really long time to build deep, strong roots than a sapling tree that sprung up really fast with shallow roots. Root systems take time. And we're building something not into ourselves. It's not about us. It's about him. Amen. And we can't do it God's way. But it's going to take all of us together. It's going to take all of us locking arms and getting into one accord. No matter where you're at. No matter how broken you are. No matter how far away you feel like you are from the Lord. And some of you today feel really far away from God. And people that are hurting and broken and don't know who the Lord really is and feel really far from him should be coming here. Every time those doors are open, we need the broken, the outcast, the lost, and the dying. And I like to preach a whole gamut of messages over the course of my life. I preach messages about maturity. I preach messages about how sin will really kill you. And as we move forward in our life with the Lord, we become more like him. And I do believe that God can bring us to a place where we live sinless. I believe that. I believe that's his desire, where we live fully upright before him. Now, have I fully arrived? No. Am I on a mission and a process to get there? Yes. Do I want to be like him? You bet. Do I want to live in dysfunction? No. Do you? How many of you would really like to live upright and not make the same mistakes you once did and be spirit-led in everything that you did and not fall into sin and shame and condemnation and failures and all those things that you once fell into? Or maybe that you're in now. I would. But the only way that I've gotten here. And the only way that I understand what I understand. Is through lots and lots and lots and lots of failures. And I self-deprecate for a reason. Because number one. I never want to forget where I came from. Nor should you. And I self-deprecate. Because what people most of the time do. Is they fall into this comparison trap. So for example. When I'm extravagant. And I'm like. No shame in my worship. Right. And sometimes I'm crying out and I'm crying literally and I'm dancing and that's just how expressive I am. I don't expect you all to be expressive that way. Do what the Lord tells you to do and worship him with all your heart. But for me, I'm super extravagant. You know why? Because I'm so desperate. And I say it all the time because I realize my frailty and I realize my weakness and I realize how great he is. And when I walk into this church and anytime it comes to worship, I realize how great and mighty and awesome the Lord is in his divine nature and how frail and mortal I am in mine. And I realize that without him, 
I would be dead and I would I literally I'd either be in prison or I would be dead or I'd be in a mental institute. That's probably what would happen if I didn't have Jesus in my life. So I'm super extravagant and fired up, not because, you know, mighty is me. I mean, I have been so good. I haven't sinned and I haven't failed and I haven't made mistakes. No, it doesn't work like that. That's self-righteousness. And self-righteousness will kill you as well. And I don't ever want you to walk in self-righteousness. But I also don't want you to walk in self-condemnation. So there has to be a balance. And the, the only way that you'll ever be balanced is when you understand your helper, your redeemer, your best friend, and who he really is. Most people do not understand the character and nature of God. You know why? Because the world system and our, and our parents, not all our parents, but the world system and our parents is often predicated on a measure-up mentality that if I'm good enough, if I perform well enough, then God will be pleased with me and he will accept me. And we get bonuses and we get rewards and we get good things. But when we fall short, we get reprimanded and we get demoted. Or we get beat. Because some of you were raised in that kind of household. You were raised where you're, you weren't nourished and you weren't loved and your father beat you and drove you hard and never said I love you or was rarely ever home or worked all the time. And then we translate that same perception that we had towards our heavenly father, how we were raised by, or our earthly father, to the heavenly father. That's why we need good news. That's the gospel. The gospel is that God's not like that. The gospel is that he's a better dad than you ever had. And if you ever want to really get a good understanding of how much the father loves you and you have children, just think about your children. I often do that to put into perspective, God, how do you feel about me right now? He says, how do you feel about your kids? And we're going to talk today about where's Jesus in the midst of repeated failures and how should you respond? Because some of you have been bombing it over and over and over again, and you're dejected and you're rejected. You feel rejected. You come in with this, this self-pity, ho-hum, ho-glum, and you can't even worship. This has been a common theme for my whole life. Because I have learned when I fail, instead of running from him, I run to him. And I have learned that I'm so desperate and that he loves me. And I know what the Bible says. And I know how much I've been forgiven. That I don't come in here with shame and dejected and rejection. Instead, I come in even in the midst of failures and shortcomings. And do I want you to stay there? No. But today, I'm going to pull you out of it. And today, I'm going to remind you of the good news and the greatness of who God is. Because I'm not okay with you guys walking in shame and condemnation. Because clearly you don't understand my God. And I'm going to show it to you biblically and scripturally. I'm not moving off this point for 27, 28 years. And I don't have any intention to. Whether I get knocked out, beat down, fail miserably, whatever it is. I understand God's word and God's love and his nature. And that he's never failed me and he never will. So why would I ever come in here? It's okay to be broken. It's okay to fall on my face. And it's okay to cry. I'm not talking about godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is a good thing. It leads me to repentance. And then it brings life. But worldly sorrow will kill you. And some of you have worldly sorrow. You can't get out of the pit. You can't get out of the quicksand. Repeated mistake, 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 failure, failure, failure. And then you start calling yourself names and you put shame on yourself. And then when it comes, you barely drag yourself in or you don't come back anymore. Because it's not, I don't take it personal. 
I realize that so many people have failed so much that they feel like they can't even come into God's house because if they do, they'll just get shamed. Or reminded of how bad you are. I have a newsflash for all y'all. I never need to be reminded about how bad I am. Ever. And trust me, when I make mistakes, I got a wife who doesn't let me get away with a whole lot of anything, all right? Just so that you know. She's like an eagle eye. Drives me nuts. But I need her so bad. Jesus, help me. All right. So, you know, in the midst of repeated failures and shortcomings and inadequacies and lies and deception, if you don't get the tools and the resources in your belt and get some understanding and learn how to discern between truth and lies, you'll always believe the lie. Or you'll be like this emotionally, up, down, up, down, up, down, hot, cold, hot, cold. God loves me. He doesn't love me. You're pulling the daisy. He loves me. He loves me not. And you're walking in shame and nonstop. Please, God, I'm begging. I'm begging. I'm begging forgiveness. And the Lord says, I forgive you. But then for another week later, we keep repenting. Because he says, I cast your sin from the, as far as the east is from the west. He says, I drop it to the bottom of the sea, never to be remembered anymore. But we live in constant remembrance because we have a liar and we have a thief and we have somebody that wants us to believe lives and not understand the character and nature of who God is. But for me, through lots of failures and shortcomings, I've got some tools in my belt to respond properly. And I don't want you to keep living in failures. But for those of you that are in the midst of hurts, pains, depression, anxiety, fear, alcoholism, drunkenness, pornography, whatever it is, you're in the right place to get pulled up by the bootstraps and yank you right out of that quicksand. Today is the day. This is the good news. You have to understand good news is really good news when you have bad news. Now, I don't want to live in a world of bad news, and good news is always there available, and it's good news. I know good news, so I have less bad news over the course of time. But good news really means something when you have bad news. And we've had bad news in our life, some direct, some indirect, some that I did nothing to cause, and some I did everything to cause, right? God's love never fails. He'll never give up on you. You please understand what I'm telling you. He'll never give up on you, ever. He never gives up on you. He promised in his word he'd never leave you or forsake you. He'll never give up on you. Just to put it in comparison, you think you have to measure up and be good enough. You never could have deserved it. And the only reason why Jesus died on the cross was because of how sinful I was, not because how good I was. Jesus gave his life on the cross Because of our repeated, consistent, habitual patterns of sin and failure. And we needed a way out. Jesus became the way out. So really, you know, who should have been on the cross was not him. It was us. So he took our sin and our shame and our pain and our failures and our condemnation and our victim mentalities and all of the dysfunction in our lives. And he bore it on the cross to always give us a way out. This is the essence of the gospel. The essence of the gospel is that Jesus did what you could never do, and they and God didn't grant you what you deserved. Instead, he took what you deserved. <clears throat> do you understand? And when you can live with that reality every day of your life, it fires you up. 
And it doesn't mean I don't, I'm not sorrowful and I hate it when I fail and I feel convicted and I bring repentance to the Lord and I weep and I cry and I have to get away sometimes. But I choose not to live with that in my life. You have to make the choice and understand God made the way for you not to live less than. You are a head, not a tail. When you get born again, you have everything inside of you that Jesus could ever give you. You just have to discover it. And one of the best ways that you discover the greatness of God is through his forgiveness, his mercy, and his failures. You know, Jesus said, he who loves much, he who's been forgiven much loves much, or she. Right? And yeah, I was really, some of us really, really bombed it. Maybe I'm the only one that, maybe I think I'm the worst sinner in this house. Right? But what I'm saying to you is I have been forgiven so much that I love him so much, but the news flash is I don't ever want our young adults and our teenagers and my kids to do what I did and what some of y'all did, right? But guess what? We all need forgiveness just as much equally. I know I really messed it up, but we all need to be born again and give our lives to Jesus. Even my five year old and seven year old your kids from the day they were born needed to give their life to jesus david made it really clear in psalm 51 repenting of murder and adultery that in sin our mothers conceived us so we all need a new nature it means we have to get born again we're never going to find the hope and the life and the freedom that god has for us until we surrender all But for those of us that have surrendered all, what we have to understand is that God's mercy and compassion and grace and kindness never fails. It's long-suffering towards you so that you can have it towards somebody else. Very, very important that you realize this is a central theme of the Bible. But you have to learn how to respond in the midst of failure. Because if you see God in a wrong light, you'll respond in the wrong way. Right? Right? So Proverbs 24, 15, and 16. This is an awesome scripture. Proverbs 24, 15, and 16. This first part of this scripture is a no trespass warning to the wicked. Now, who's the wicked? Who's our real enemy? Spiritual wickedness in high places, the devil, demons, dark forces. But there also will be people in the natural that the enemy uses like puppets and pawns to rob from you, to steal from you, and to plunder from you. And the number one thing that the enemy wants to do is get you out of position of rest. Notice it says, O wicked, don't lie in wait against the dwelling of the righteous, nor plunder his resting place. God's issuing a no trespass warning to the righteous. And you know how you're made righteous? Through the death of Jesus on the cross. Now my response is live righteous. Because if I love him, I'll obey him. And that takes time and process and patience and again, Lots of discovery of brokenness and failures. I've learned how great and awesome God is through forgiveness and the overcoming in the blood of Jesus. I've learned it. So I run to him, not from him. And I understand that the enemy's lying in wait right now for you. And God issues a no trespass warning against the enemy not to lay in wait against your dwelling place or plunder your resting place. You know why? Because sometimes you're going to get plundered. Sometimes you're going to lose your rest. Sometimes the enemy's going to make his way in. Sometimes he'll trespass and sometimes I'll open the door wide open. Because look at the next verse. 
Notice the first part of this verse had a semicolon because verse 16 and verse 15 are the same scripture. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. So there's two fallings. And what it says is sometimes you're going to fall. Another word for fall is the word fail. It's the same word. Sometimes you're going to fail. Sometimes you're going to be cast down. Sometimes you're going to fall short. These are all synonyms of this word. Sometimes you will fall short and feel inferior. That the enemy's got more power and I'm so weak. But the Bible says in my weakness is strength made perfect. It was never because I was so noble and so strong. And so sometimes you'll fall. Sometimes you'll fail. Sometimes you'll even feel knocked out because that's another synonym. Have you ever felt knocked out? Oh, man, Amber and I got hit over the head by a baseball bat. Run over by a freight train when we lost our daughter. Sometimes circumstances, hurricanes, economic things, jobs, employers, sometimes it's indirect. You actually didn't do anything to deserve it. And it knocked you out. Sometimes you did something exactly to deserve it. But you have to understand the next verse I'm going to show you here in a minute is that God doesn't give you what you deserve. He took what you deserved on the cross. Now, that doesn't give me a license to keep being an idiot. But what it does do is it gives me a license to be free and receive forgiveness and grow closer to him and know he rescues me every time. So check this out. Oh, wicked man, don't lie in wait to plunder the righteous house or his rest. Notice the next verse didn't say, because the Lord will kick your hiney and drive you back and there's angels everywhere and you'll never make it. That's not what the verse says. The verse says, because... Even if you get in, you got to see this comparison. Even if the enemy hits you with a panic attack, even if you have an anxiety attack, even if you're battling nightmares, even if you open the door right up, though a righteous man in position with Christ falls or fails or gets knocked out or knocked down seven times. You know what seven times means? It means a lot of times. It's many times. It's the perfection of a whole lot of times. That's what that means. Because some of y'all, let's be honest, it's been way more than seven times. Try 7,000. Right? So check it out. He's saying, you don't want to try to invade the righteous resting place and dwelling place. Because let me explain something to you. You may knock him out and knock him down, but every time he'll rise again. But you're going to fall with calamity because guess what? When I fall, guess who fell with me? See, the lie of religion is the Lord's like, eh, see you later. But I have learned that when I gave my life to the Lord, the Lord never left me or forsook me. And I see, the thing is, is I get to res, you get to resurrect. You'll rise again. But the enemy doesn't get to rise because he didn't fall. He doesn't have the Lord. So when you fall, you rise how often? Notice the word again. You know what again means? Again and again and again and again and again and again and again. In fact, actually the word means repeatedly. It means another time, once more. And it means that when I rise, I'm going to return to my previous state of condition and position. <laughs> because in the kingdom... It doesn't matter how many times the enemy knocks me down. 
I get to resurrect every time and get put back into my right position. It's not like the Lord said, you're part of a son now. You're just a stepchild. You don't get the benefits of the son. That's a lie. And I rise again every time because I have him in my life and he never wants me to stay down. I would never want my own kids to stay down or be beat down. I would want them to rise again. To rise means to stand back up. It means to be established, endure, persist, be fixed, be validated, be proven, be fulfilled, and to become effective again. Because some of you have once said, I'll never be able to be effective again. Divorce, marriage, fear, panic, porn, drugs, alcohol, fill in the blank, even murder. God has the ability to restore you again and resurrect you again and make you effective again. But because we were raised broken and the society and the world we live in, we have this subtle performance mentality towards God. Do I want to please him and should you? You bet. Does sin please him? No. But does he have a way of pulling you out of it? Again and again and again and again. Look at the next part of this scripture. Calamity. So when he tries to bring calamity on you, it comes on him. So you don't have to get vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Leave it in God's hands. By staying unforgiving and bitter and angry, you're actually keeping the calamity from happening to them or bringing freedom to their lives. And it comes upon you. That's the next part of the scripture or this verse in this chapter, but we won't go through that. So why do you continue to rise again? Well, let me give you some reasons, and I won't break the scriptures down for the sake of time. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you're made righteous in his sight because of what he did, because of his blood. Second of all, the cross. Talked about it a lot today. Jesus died on the cross because of your sin, then, today, and tomorrow. So you literally would despise the goodness of the Lord if you keep living in shame and condemnation and not running to the cross and snapping out of it. Today's your day to snap out of it and rise again because of the blood. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word, and it's not vengeance. The blood is forgiveness. The blood is, I love you. I know you bombed it, and you, sometimes you did it on purpose and repeatedly, but I love you. Don't give up. Don't back down. I'm for you, not against you. My blood's crying out. I shed it, and it's alive, and it's living, and it's speaking a better word than Cain's blood, which was vengeance. Because of his love. He loves you to no end. God is love. That's who he is. Love endures. Love never fails. Because he promised to never leave you or forsake you. And because he has already defeated the enemy. So that wicked one that's trying to plunder your resting place and robbing you sometimes. Or that you're opening the door to. He's already defeated. Psalm 103 verse 8 through 10. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He'll not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Why would God not deal with us according to our sins in anger? Because maybe that's the way some of our dads did or the way you see the world system. Some of you view God that way, that he would be angry and deal with your sin in anger. 
The reason is because he's a good father that's merciful and gracious. He abounds in mercy. You know what mercy is? It's unmerited, undeserving kindness and favor and compassion from God. It's pity. Lord, please have pity. And he's not Mr. T where he pities the fool. Just had to throw that in right there. It just always fits every time. It fits every time. Pity the fool. He's slow to anger. He's gracious. He's full of compassion. He's not dealt with us the way that we deserve. But the thing is, is in our minds, he should. And if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be like, Lord, kick their hiney. Get them, God. Beat them down. Thank God he doesn't deal with us that way. He doesn't grant you according to what you deserve. And some of you really deserve. Some of you, you deserve a little extra beat down. Right? I'm only self-deprecating for myself. You can't compare the divine with the mortal. How can God be so good? How can God be so good? Because he's divine. And you're mortal. And you think that you can earn it and measure up and perform good enough? It's never, that's self-righteousness at its best. The best thing you can do is stay broken, submitted, and allow his strength to be made perfect in your weakness and run to him every time and stand on the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. And Lord, may we never, ever, 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 ever forget that or lose that at Rock City Church. May we always be full of grace and compassion and mercy for every broken person that walks in this door that, that needs, him, needs him so desperately. May we always be that way. May we not be apathetic and judgmental. May we not be moved by styles and preferences, but be led by the Holy Spirit. Because styles and preferences are different, but the Holy Spirit remains the same. See, God knows who you are. His mercy is so great that he removes your sin completely. He knows who you are, and he remembers how you were made from the dust of the ground. Never forget that. You can't compare the divine with the mortal. His mercy is so great that he removes it, and he never picks it back up. But we expect anger, punishment, and consequences. And in turn, he gives mercy, grace, compassion, healing, a way out, and true freedom. And now let me leave you with one of the greatest verses, in my opinion, concerning the nature and character of God in the midst of broken, difficult times. And it comes from lamentations, which means to cry out in sorrow and pain for God's mercy and kindness, to lament, comes from uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 23. I'm sorry, 21 through 24. I would encourage everybody to highlight this, memorize it, know it, and never, ever forget it. You know, I'm not, I didn't have time to go through the verses before this, but I love it so much because Jeremiah the prophet's mourning what's happened to Jerusalem and to God's people. He's lamenting. It's been so, so bad. And there's this, this scripture right before this where Jeremiah's like, I'm going to remember, I'm paraphrase it for you. He goes, I'm going to remember my happy place. Have you ever tried to behavior, modify yourself to make yourself feel better? It doesn't really work or it only works for a short amount of time. Whatever it is, maybe it's a movie, maybe it's a drug or drink or something you shouldn't do. And Jeremiah's like, when I tried to go to my happy place, it only got worse. So then he said this. He said, I recall to my mind, therefore I have 
hope. What brings him hope? Through the Lord's mercy, you're not consumed. Because his compassions, they never fail. They never fail. They are new how often? Do you know some days I wake up and here's the first word out out of my mouth? Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. That's like the best, best good morning, Lord. Thank you. Because guess how often his mercy's new? In the Old Testament, once a year, you got remission of sins. Today, you get it every minute, every second, every breath, every life. And just like the sunrise, not the sunset, the sunrise, it's like the bridegroom coming out of his chamber to rescue his bride. Every day, every morning, it's the dawn of a new day. His mercy's new. How often? And so Jeremiah says, this is what I'm going to remember. I'm not going to try to go to a happy place or check out anymore. I can't find comfort in the things of this world. You'll you'll get at some point, some of y'all. Some of you are a little hard-headed than most. And I'm not looking at anybody. You know who you are, just self-deprecate. It's all right. You'll get it. God's love never fails. His compassions fail not. He doesn't grant you according to what you deserve. He's always caring. He's always loving. He's always giving. And he's, he's long-suffering for eternity. They're new every morning. Check this out. Let's say it together. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. And then look at the next verse. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. You know what it means to say something? It means to declare it. Where? In my soul. You know what my soul is? It's the seat of my mind, will, and my emotions. It's how I feel. It's how I think. It's how I process. So what I'm going to do is instead of falling into a pity party of failure, shame, and isolation, I'm going to step into the light and I'm going to say, Lord, you're my hope and you're my portion. Nothing of this world but you. Therefore, I have hope in who? Not Netflix, not porn, not a drink, not a drug, not a man, not a woman, not a comfort, not an arms, not a thing. Nothing, no stuff, no money, nothing can bring comfort and strength to my life and to my soul like the, my portion of the Lord. Do you understand? Woo! Now you pick yourself up and you rise again. If you're going to be a part of this family, you're going to rise up. And you're going to walk in the confidence and the boldness of the Lord. I know some of you have been hurt, wounded, rejected. So is Jesus. Somebody did you wrong? Who hasn't? Who took it the worst? Who was left by his best friends and lied about and cheated on and hurt and abused and bruised for our iniquities? It's the gospel. It's the essence of the good news. There's good news in the midst of lies and deception and hurt and pain and failures. When you almost died and you ran to the dark side, I got good news for you. Come home, son. Come home, daughter. Stop running. The father ran to the prodigal with open arms. He didn't go, oh, stop him at the gate. Clean him up. Have him recite the psalm. Make sure he got his bar mitzvah right before he comes back. Let's correct him first. Instead, here's my signet ring. 
my arms are open. And if this church is going to do what we're called to do, we're going to live with this understanding all the days of our life. And we're going to worship our faces off. And we're going to not care who's watching or what it looks like when we raise our hands. And we're not going to sit there and be apathetic when somebody's getting free and dancing around. And we're not going to come in with our old preconceived traditions of how we were raised. We're going to embrace a new thing. And we're going to come as we are. You hear me? You come as come to him as you are. Repeatedly, over and over and over, again and again and again and again and again and again, rise again and again and again and again and again and again and again until I can't say it anymore. It'll birth fire in your life. It'll birth freedom in your life. Passion of the Lord never fails. It's divine favor. When we should be consumed, he's merciful. His mercy's new every morning. And we ponder daily. We recall to our mind the truth of who he is and how he loves. 